Good morning. It's good to see you all. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as we continue through this, we remember the circumstances of the uh, this young church that Paul had come, perhaps stayed only a few months, maybe three months or so, and then was driven out, encouraged by uh, the brothers to uh, to leave. Um, and uh, he is writing back to the Thessalonians now, writing to them, letting them know um, that uh, they are in his heart, that he loves them. He's writing back to let them know. Uh, he wanted to check on them. He was concerned about them because he knew that they were going through uh, times of affliction. He knew that was going on in their life. And so uh, because of that, he sent Timothy back, and this is the response after Timothy came back and said, this is what's going on. They're standing firm. And I'm going to tell you, that, that was music to Paul's heart, music to his ears to hear that they were standing firm in the face of affliction, in the face of difficulty. And Paul reminds them that he came when they came to them, and they proclaimed the gospel. They did it with right motivation. They came, they, they weren't hindered by the persecution that they had already uh, encountered. Instead, they moved to the next city and started proclaiming the gospel, even though wherever they went, they suffered persecution. And so Paul is just saying, you know what, we're, we're, we're bringing this message to you, and we're not doing it because it's popular. We're not doing it because it's erroneous. We're not doing it because the message is impure. Our appeal is not impure. Uh, we're not seeking to deceive you in any way. Instead, we have come to you in this way uh, with a right motive, wanting to please God rather than man. And so he's, he's done this. And, you know, that's, that's, we should live our lives in such a way that we, we live with a desire knowing that the message of the gospel is not delivered in any way except out of love for the people that you bring it to. And that's how Paul and Silas and his companions came initially. Well, here today, we're at a place where uh, Paul uh, goes in and he says, you know, this is the way we were among you. Okay? Our motives were pure. But let me show you even further that our work was not in vain. Let me show you even further that what we delivered to you is what we believe ourselves by the way that we lived it out we should be concerned as believers who have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to not only believe the truth, but to live that truth out. And Paul says, I want to show you how we live that out. You know, it wasn't just for show with Paul. Instead, what we see is that Paul wanted to make sure that they understood that we love you and we care for you. We want to lead you towards something. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't just stop at sharing the gospel with people. We continue on. We move forward. We proclaim and then we participate in the lives 
of the people. He's leading them to a particular place that you walk. I'll stick with this one. I'll stick with this one. Sorry, folks, my battery just died on my on my microphone pack. Just put it in this morning and it just died. Uh, so, uh, but that just happened. So I'm going to stick with this. I won't be able to move around, and that might get a little nerve wracking for me, not for you. Uh, but so, what Paul is doing? I mean, he's saying, I, I, I want you to see something. I, I want you to see that we wanted to share our life with you. We didn't just want to deliver the gospel. We wanted to participate with you in life. We wanted to move you into a place of not only believing the truth, but living the truth. To walk in a manner worthy of God. So I want to talk to you. I've entitled this, Sharing Ourselves with One Another. Sharing Ourselves with one another we're going back up to verse 8 I know we read from 9 through 12 but I do that occasionally Paul said in verse 8 so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us in a short span of time, he says, we loved you. We loved you. We were ready to share with you, not only the gospel, but ourselves. That word ready means to take pleasure in something in that it fulfills one's desires. Paul said, we were ready. Taking uh, part in life with you is fulfilling to our desire and we're filling something up in you too that's a an argument that paul presents numerous times throughout his letters uh, you 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 fill me up but i, I have things that i want to encourage you with and so uh, he's saying we were ready for this ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves that word share to spend oneself in giving what one has to another paul points that out there were two things that he says we're ready to share with you number one the gospel well that should always be what believers are ready to share with others the gospel of jesus christ always ready to deliver the hope that is found in jesus but also we see that he said there's another thing we're ready to share, ourselves. What he's pointing to is this, is that we want to participate, we want to be engaged in your life, we want to instruct you, we want to walk alongside you, and we want to urge you and encourage you, and he even uses the word charge you with living in a particular way he says we love you 
Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We, we love you like a, a nursing mother who gives her child what he needs most. We were gentle with you. The word describing them is actually infants. Context helps us to see. Man, we, were, we were gentle. We, we didn't, this is following after, we didn't use our authority. We could have, but we didn't. Because we wanted to engage you in this way. In a gentle way. In a loving way. We were affectionately desirous of you. We love you. You know, the Bible instructs us as believers, love one another. We should love one another. The Bible instructs us to love those around us. The Bible instructs us to care for those around us. So we see here that Paul has this affection. But not only that, uh, farther down in in uh, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you. I'm sorry, verse 11. For you know how like a father was those children. We exhorted you. We loved you. Oh, the love of a mother. Oh, the love of a father here. He's pointing to these things and said, you know, we were gentle like a, your mom was with you. And we were encouraging like your father is. Is there anybody that can encourage you like your dad? I mean, that 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 that's built that way. My dad, with all of his faults, still encouraged me. I just had to learn to speak his language, learn to understand what he was saying sometimes. But that was his intent. That was his aim. He says, "We encouraged you." I'm going to say this: We not only taught you but we led you and we charged you. He's going to say that later on. What Paul is saying is we came to spend our lives on you. We wanted to spend ourselves in your midst teaching you. As the church, that's who we are and it's what we do we spend our lives in the midst of one another not just the passage of time but the contribution of self to one another so that we can encourage one another and build one another up so that we can point one another toward walking in a manner worthy of God There's a need for us to invest in the lives of one another. To share what we have with one another. And the goal of this investment is that we would all together walk worthy of God. Paul, I think, lays out how such an investment can be made. How can we share in each other's life? How can we invest in one another? Paul says, these were people that we shared the gospel with. 
And not only did we share the gospel with them, we began discipling them. We began teaching them and training them and encouraging them in the way of life for one who is a child of God. Paul lays that out, and I've got three words as my point. That's highly unusual of me. Usually I have two sentences that run together with no punctuation. But today I have three words that I think Paul demonstrates to us by his leadership of how we can share in one another and share with one another what we have that God has given and that God has done in our lives. The first word is this, close, close. The second word is this, compel, compel. The third word is courage. Close, compel, and encourage. Paul says in verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. This is manual labor he's talking about here. Certainly uh, working to provide for themselves, but also laboring with the gospel of Jesus Christ, passing it on to them. He says, you remember, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You say, what does this have to do with close? Proximity. Think proximity. They were near to one another. They were close to one another. Paul and the uh, disciples, his companions, they were near to the people in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, they were working right alongside of them. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. You see, earlier he said, you know what? As apostles, we could have exercised that authority. We didn't do that. And one of those exercises of authority could have been, hey, you need to provide for us. But he said, we didn't do that. We didn't ask you to provide for us. Instead, we took jobs, more than likely tent maker, okay? That would be hard work, by the way, tent making. That would be laborious. And he says that uh, they did so night and day, more than likely arose early in the morning and got home late at night. So they were working. They worked during this time. You may say, well, weren't they hanging out at Jason's house? That's where they were staying, it says back in Acts chapter 17. When they didn't find them, they hauled Jason out and said, you know, these guys are uh, opposing the decrees of Caesar. And they talked about uh, Jason uh, there in, in Acts, but, and that's where they stayed. But Paul, what he's saying here is that we weren't a burden to Jason. He gave us a roof over our head. By giving us a little corner in the house. And we provided for our own food. He said, we weren't a burden to you. We worked. We were close to you. You know, that's something that we need to understand is that wherever we are 
in proximity to people. One of the tasks that we have and one of the desires that we have because of the affection that we have for people that they would hear the gospel is that as we work, we share the gospel. Notice what he says there. The key word there is not necessarily worked, but while. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel to you, the gospel of God. It's not like we work night and day and then at night we proclaim the gospel of God. We proclaim the gospel of God. Instead, while we were working, we were talking to you about the gospel. Can you see them all sitting around the 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 hide stretched out there that they're using to make a tent, punching holes in it so they can weave it together. And they're all sitting there and they're talking and everything. And, and Paul perhaps did something like what they do in Ethiopia, okay? Rick, bring us a word from the Lord. Oh, okay, they do that spontaneously, by the way. You go to eat somewhere. Hey, Rick, bring us a word from the Lord. Better have something, okay? They're expecting a word from the Lord. Not a word from Rick. Bring us a word from the Lord. Perhaps Paul would lead out sometimes. Hey, let me tell you all about Jesus. Have you all heard how I came to know Christ? I was an enemy. And maybe he would share their testimony. Or look over at uh, perhaps maybe Timothy. Hey, Timothy, tell them how you heard the Lord speak to you through your mom and your grandmother as they taught you the word of God. Hey, Silas, you remember how scared we were in Philippi? Why don't you tell them how God delivered us? We see this type of show while we were there, while we were working. They were close. They were near to one another. while they worked, while they labored. As they worked, they proclaimed the gospel of God. But then notice in verse 10, he says about the Thessalonians, you are witnesses. And God also, you're a witness and God's a witness, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You are witnesses. You are individuals who can testify to our conduct while we were among you. How could they do that? You think the Thessalonians were sitting there and they were watching Paul's tweets? See what Paul's saying today. See what Paul's, how Paul's interacting on social media today. No, that's not what was going on. You think Paul lived in one section of Thessalonica and all these other people lived in another section of Thessalonica? Where they didn't see him, Paul had to write a letter, hey, I did this today, I did this today. No. No, they were together. They were living day in and day out next to one another. 
you saw me. You saw how we lived. You can testify concerning how we conducted ourselves. Your witnesses to how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. Let me kind of walk through that for a moment. First of all, holy and righteous go together in this context. And they represent a thought that they acted in in accordance with the law. In other words, there's a standard and they walked by it. This points to the standard of holiness in God and the standard that was delivered by the state. Y'all may remember, what was it they were accused of? They're teaching things that are opposed to the decrees of Caesar. Paul's saying here, you know that we didn't break any of the laws of Rome. You can testify to that. And you also know that we lived in a distinctive way. We were divinely distinct, if you will. In other words, we were different than the world around us. We lived by a standard in the way we conducted ourselves toward you. was blameless. In other words, someone may charge us with something, but they can't make it stick. They can't make it stick. And that's what it means to be blameless. You have a a, a standard, and you have the living out of that standard, and then you have someone that can look and say, yeah, they're not guilty of that. They're blameless of it. How did they know that? They were living in close proximity to one another. They were near to one another. They shared meals together in their homes. They went out to eat. They gathered together, I don't know, in somebody's home or uh, out in the marketplace somewhere or wherever, and they shared the word of God together. They walked in a way that was worthy of the manner, uh, in a manner worthy of God. That's what these apostles were doing. You know what we did. You know how we lived. Sharing in another's life demands us to live closely to one another. Now, in today's society, in today's world, we have transportation and we can get from one place to another pretty quickly. But we need to consider this in reference to the local body of Christ. That's you and me. Those who are in this body. We need to consider those that are in our uh, workplaces. And not only in our workplaces, but also in our community. Wherever we are. We're speaking the gospel. And with the intent of this is not going to be the end of it. I'm not just going to share this and move on. I want to share this and I have an intent to participate in your life. 
One place Paul says something about we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We're connected to one another. Not just in personal interest and, or personal opinions because all of those things vary. But I'm so thankful that there's something that does not vary. And that is the blood by which we've been bought and the spirit who dwells within us. And who shows us the word of life. And in that word of life, we share it with one another. As God teaches us, we teach one another. And we encourage one another. So there was close proximity here. But not only were they near one another, not only were they sharing meals together, and Paul's not making up a new way of doing things, by the way. We know that the, the disciples wandered around with Jesus all over the place. You know, he spent, he poured his life into them. That's what discipleship is. It's not merely uh, just, just coming to a class. It's being involved in life together. It's weeping with one another and caring for one another and holding one another to an account. So they were close. If we're going to share ourselves with one another, we have to be in proximity to one another. And that means being part of the fellowship and gathering, and calling, and visiting, and writing, and engaging however we possibly can with one another, and knowing how we can encourage one another in this life through struggles and through joys. The next word that Paul lays out, he doesn't lay it out, it's my interpretation, compel compel he delivered the gospel in verse 4 of chapter 1 he says for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction and then here in chapter 2 Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. So what do we do with our time together? What do we do in this closeness uh, as we share meals together, as we go places together, as we... Uh, uh, or in a family retreat together, uh, as we live this life together as believers in Jesus Christ, what is the activity that's going on? Compulsion. We want to compel one another. Toward this goal, to walk in a manner worthy of God. How's that done? How do you have that compulsion, that movement of moving people toward truth a way of life he lays it out here in greek terms 
and Greek education, particularly moral instruction. He uses three things. He says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. Three things right there. Exhort, encourage, and charge. This word exhort is often taken to mean to comfort or to console. But here, what we see is we see this, this instruction. And let me tell you the truth. Let me give you this truth. Let me teach you these things. So this exhortation is encouragement toward belief and encouragement toward action in doing the things that are walking in a manner worthy of God. So through instruction, this uh, Greek moral instruction consisted of these three things. So we wanted to exhort you. So much of that has to do with teaching. But also they're living it out, kind of pointing back to you saw our conduct. You saw how we lived. The exhortation is not merely words. The exhortation is a life that matches the words. They were able to see that in action. But not only that, we see this exhortation, this teaching and living. You're you're watching that happen right here. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. This word encourage, it closely has that thought of console and comfort. But here, what we see taking place is this persuasion. Okay, We're going to persuade you. So not only are we going to teach you, and are you going to see what we do, but this encouragement involves actual being together with one another. And you come with me. Let me show you something. Let me show you this. In other words, the persuasion was more than teaching. It was coming, bringing another alongside of them. And they walked together. That's what Christ did, isn't it? That's what Paul was doing with Timothy and Silas and and Barnabas and all all those that were his companions. But here that was being duplicated here at Thessalonica. So there's there's the, the exhortation, the teaching, and we're living what we say we believe. We're living what we teach you. But also, won't you come with us and let us... Let us encourage you. Let us show you. Walk with me for a while. That would be the encouragement. In other words, investing in people's lives, knowing the struggles that they face, and helping them walk through them, through faith in Jesus Christ. But then you have this last thing. He says, we exhorted you, we taught you, we encouraged you, And that encouragement was to be near to one another and walk with me. But then he says, and then we charged you. That is, the the word means to insist on what? To walk in a manner worthy. All these words are pointing to this worthy walking. Man, we help one another do that. Y'all know that, right? We help one another to walk together. 
Now I want you to notice something about this. I want you to notice the stages of instruction and how they seem to step further and deeper into a person's life. The exhortation is back here. Let me teach you. Let me instruct you. Watch me from afar and see how I walk. The encouragement is, I'm going to keep teaching you, but let me teach you while we walk together and as we go. Now I'm up next to you. And now there's this insistence. You know what? This is the way you ought to walk. Let me charge you with this as a believer in Jesus Christ to live this way. Because this is the way of truth. We see just kind of stepping farther and farther into an individual's life. Step by step by step. How do we share ourselves with one another? We draw nearer and nearer into relationship with individuals. It's not just about sitting in a big room and hearing the word of God preached. It's about engaging with one another and getting deeper and deeper into each one, each other's life. It goes from words and action to bringing one along with you to insisting on a way of life. You know, through my years as a pastor, I've had a number of people that have gone up to individuals because they didn't like what they were they didn't think that their dress was modest or they didn't think that they were dressed good enough or that they didn't all sorts of different things I, i'll just leave it at that one for now they walked up to him and said you know what you shouldn't be wearing that that's not appropriate to wear to church and the person they were talking to didn't even know the name of the person that was talking to them. how do you think that went over you think that went over well? How about some stranger just walk up to you and say, man, I, I've been watching you live. You don't live very good. How's that going to go over with you? No. That don't work at all, does it? Hey, you know what? You're, you're walking in this way, and that's not, that's not the way you ought to be living your life. And then the person says to you, who are you? The investment that we make in one another's life is what helps us get to a place where we can take the word of God that we've taught them and say, man, this isn't the way to be walking. Here's the way that pleases God. Walk in this way. And I'll walk with you. And I'll be with you. And I'll pray for you. We need to be in each other's life. And earn this place. Where we have the best opportunity. To compel one another. To live in this way. This manner of life, 
that is worthy of God. The last thing I want to mention is this. We see that Paul's example was he was close. He was close when he was working. He was close to them on a regular basis together in worship and coming together and so forth. So close that they could see the pattern of his life. And not only that, he lived to compel them to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to live the gospel. And he did that by spending time with them. And it ripped his heart out to have to leave Thessalonica. He actually says it. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we love you. That's verse 17, by the way. We want to be near you. And we couldn't stand it anymore, so we sent Timothy over there. We're hindered, but we sent him. Go check on them. And he has returned with this great news that you're standing firm in the face of conflict, not turning loose of the gospel proclaimed. Because God keeps they were close and he was compelling the last thing is I want to say is this courage courage how do we share ourselves with one another we need to be courageous just so you know that word's not in 1 Thessalonians but it's ingrained in Paul's life It's ingrained in every letter he wrote. It's ingrained in right here where he says, you know what, we had already suffered and we came to you. Say, yeah, but Paul, he was never afraid. Yes, he was. There was a time when he despaired of life. Paul didn't have a big S on his chest, okay? He felt like you feel. He had fear like you have, but he went through it, and that's called courage. He demonstrated a courageous life, as have many Christians throughout the ages and throughout the years demonstrated courageous life. I know what it's going to cost me. But I've gone through it with it anyway. I'm going to do it. Paul was courageous in the way he lived his life and the way he spread the gospel. I want to take a moment here at the end And men, I want to point to you. We need men. We need men who are courageous to proclaim the gospel. In a time and in a day when the gospel is not popular, and let me tell you, I don't know that there's ever been a time 
for a day when the true, genuine gospel is popular. We need men to be courageous. You know, men, we tend to live at arm's length. Most of us. Like this. Don't get too close. Don't get too close. We tend to step back from friendships. Most men don't have many. But we need to be engaged in each other's life. It's not so much that we're so concerned about getting close to somebody else. But I think most of the time we're more concerned with people getting close to us. To where they can see the flaws. And the blind spots. And the sin. We tend not to draw near to each other. You say, man, I like hanging out with the guys. Yeah. On a surface level. But how about engaged in each other's life? Where you're encouraging one another with a word. Let me read the Bible with you. Hey, God, won't you come pray with me? Let's read the Bible together. If I had a show of hands... How many men would say, you know what, there's another guy that I read the Bible with? We need to be close to one another. Men, God's given us a role to lead and to lead our families well, and we can't do that at arm's length from one another. I need people to help me see what I can't see. Some of you are kind of like, well, isn't that what your wife is for? Well, yeah, she helps me see it. But men help me see it too. We need to be close to one another. We need to be sure that we uh, are faithful in our responsibilities as men to provide but also to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We have responsibility as men to be faithful where we live, where we work, and where we play to share the gospel with those around us with the intent that I am going to be a participant in the life of those who trust in him and a participant in the life of those who are hearing the gospel. Oftentimes what we do as men is we take the path of least resistance. And instead we need to be faithful. Not to resist the urging of the spirit of God. To spread the gospel and make it known and to engage in the lives of people. We need to live our lives in a non-passive way. What do you mean by that? Passivity. Acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance. It's kind of like, okay. 
You know, somebody says, hey, do this. Okay. You know, I know that kind of looked like a sitcom, didn't it? Well, for decades now, sitcoms have been designed to make men look like buffoons. And we're leaders and messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to be passively sitting back and saying, okay, I guess I won't do that. We're not to walk in that way. We're not to live at arm's length. But instead, we're compelled to draw near to the Lord, and as we do that, to one another, to share in each other's life. I have a passage of Scripture I'm going to read to you. And uh, just uh, it's just a couple of verses, actually. And, and I want to do this, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. I just wanted to challenge us. And women, all that was for you, too. But I wanted men to listen because of what we're prone to. We're prone to be passive. Taught my children, my boys, a pattern. Most of y'all have heard it. Some of you men have heard it in some of the teaching that we've done on Saturdays. But it's talking about how real men reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and invest eternally. And Paul was all in on eternal investment. So many men today live their lives in aimlessness with no purpose or direction. When God has given us a great eternal purpose to spread the gospel and to help one another walk in a manner worthy of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, I had this, these, verse 13 and 14, inscribed on the knives that I gave my sons on the day they were married. They had heard it their whole lives. But here in this passage, it simply says this, be watchful. You're looking for something. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So often, men look at their lives and they think, I'm not what I want to be. And it's your fault. I'm not pointing at anybody, by the way. It's your fault. It's because of this. It's because of my dad. It's because of my brother. It's because of the government. It's because of this. It's because of that. Let's pass it. God's called us to something different, and that is to walk in a manner that is courageous and to do things that are unpopular and to speak truth that nobody wants to hear. Not to sit back idle and say, well, they don't want to hear what I have to say. It's passivity. 
And so what do we do? We engage. We engage. It says, act like men. You know what that word means? Be courageous. That's it. Be courageous. Step in. There's going to be fearful things in this life. Lead. Go and do. Lead your children well. Lead them to the cross. Lead your wife to the cross. She doesn't want to come to church. Lead her to the cross. She doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Lead her to the cross. Lovingly, caringly, have affectionate desire for her. Let her hear the gospel and let her see it lived out in you. This is not only in the church, but it's in the family. It starts there. Do that well. For those who say, well, you know what? It's, it's not my fault. It's this or it's that. Well, I want to share with you the words of a philosopher who laid it out quite well. He's the famous philosopher Rocky Balboa. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. Man, God called us to live courageously. All of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And he called us to share in the lives of one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to encourage, to teach, to train, to challenge, to rebuke. It's the last time you got rebuked, by the way. It's a Christian thing, by the way. Are you sharing in the life of people? You know how you can get started? Share the gospel of Christ with someone near you this week. Teach them the words of God. Go up to some guy, some uh, lady, some, some other lady and say, hey, you want to read the Bible together this week? Man, these are the words of life. Let's make sure we're looking to them. Let's make sure we're living by them. Let's make sure we're making them known. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your spirit, the hope of eternal life. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you have not called us to a life of being passive because things are hard. You've not called us to take the path of least resistance. But you've called us, Lord, instead to be faithful to your word, to be faithful proclaimers of the gospel, to be faithful in living out the gospel, and to be faithful in taking people along with us as we go. We love you, O oh God, and we thank you and praise you. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we conclude our service singing, Crown Him with Many Crowns.